0: You're listening to the Bird Dog Babe Podcast with my mom, Courtney Bastion.
1: This podcast is sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, Boss Shot Shells, and Onyx Hunt.
2: But it felt so empowering to say, okay, I can be a women a woman dog trainer in a male-dominated sport and I can be a woman hunter, and I'm not alone, that there's all these other amazing women that came from all over the country, from Alaska to Tennessee and Illinois and everywhere in between, Uh, and just growing that confidence in myself and in growing and having that confidence builds in my dog and and in the things that we were doing with her. Because we had no clue what we were doing. We were learning so much along the way and just getting so much positive feedback and just different tips. So, yeah, just tons of, tons of confidence in myself and then confidence in Sage.
1: We just held Her Upland Grub's Camp this past weekend, and my heart is incredibly full. We had a great group of women and youth participants and the varsity team of instructors, helpers, and mentors. This mission with Her Upland is my passion project, one that continues to grow a community of women and youth that are competent, confident, and conscientious individuals that really get after it with their bird dogs. I can't thank all of the amazing people that put in the time and efforts to make this such an impactful event. Field mentors, Deb Hinton, Chloe Nostrant, Rachel Willard, and Katie Willis. Andrew Willard of Onyx Hunt not only provided an outstanding presentation on utilizing Onyx to scout and hunt, but also stepped in as an additional field mentor. Jan Persia and Caitlin Mann, who spent the majority of time in the kitchen providing delicious hot meals all day. Tracy Wright of Dark Horse Shooting for being a first-class shooting instructor. Ashley Peters from Rough Grouse Society for talking to us about ethics and conservation. Lee Chose of Boss Shot Shells taught us about patterning our shotguns with different chokes. Hannah Leonard of Sporting Lead Free. Liz Bradley and Sergeant Dan of Montana FWP discussing grouse biology and the Montana rules and regulations of upland hunting. Amber Cornack on bear awareness and Dr. Meg from On Point Veterinary Services for presenting on bird dog first aid in the field. To find out more about the 2023 Her Upland events, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and be one of the first in the know. Go to herupland.com. Thank you to our sponsor, Purina Pro Plan. William and I each kept three puppies for our personal strings this year. Yeah, I know, it sounds crazy, but we had three outstanding litters this year and could have kept even more because there was so much potential. We are going through Purina Pro Plan large free puppy like it's going out of style. No joke. The large free puppy formula contains glucosamine to support developing joints and cartilage. It has DHA for the omega-rich fish oil, which nourishes the brain and vision development, antioxidants to support the puppy's developing immune system, and omega-6 fatty acids and vitamins to nourish skin and coat. I keep all of my puppies on this formula until they're 12 months old. Go to PurinaProPlan.com to find out more. We had the pleasure of having Lee Chose of Boss Shot Shells attend our Her Upland Grouse Camp. Lee was fully invested in helping our participants understand the importance of patterning their shotguns and understanding what their shot looks like on paper before they headed out for Mountain Grouse. He was joined by Hannah Leonard of Sporting Lead Free for an additional presentation on shooting lead-free ammunition and shared the effects that lead has on our environment, the birds, and the food that we put on the table for our family. If you haven't switched to non-tox ammunition, please consider it. And choose Boss Shot Shells, copper-plated bismuth, shipped direct to consumer. Go to BossShotshells.com onyx hunt the most important and effective tool for safety navigation scouting and locating ideal upland habitat go confidently on your next solo hunt with onyx hunt use promo code bdb20 to get 20 percent off your purchase of an onyx membership and reap the rewards and discounts with several hunting industry leaders from with an elite membership go to onyxmaps.com Thank you to the partners of this podcast, Siren Shotguns and Dakota 283 Kennels. Siren is the only company that offers an entire line of shotguns for women. Go to SirenUSA.com. Dakota 283 Kennels are built to last with rotor mold frame, a built-in handle for easy load in and out of your vehicle, slam door with lock and drain holes in the back for easy cleaning. Use promo code Babe for 10% off your purchase at Dakota283.com. My guest today is Rachel Willard. Rachel lives just south of Missoula, Montana and works as a physical therapist. She and her husband, Andrew, rely on wild game meat to fill their freezer and feast on year-round. This year, they acquired two bearded baby bird dogs. And their active lifestyle has led them to become active volunteers for their local NABDA chapter and avid upland hunters. Rachel shares her story of getting into big game and upland hunting, the love of beards, the learning adventure that comes with bird dogs. Rachel and Andrew have become very dear friends of ours and we absolutely love and cherish every moment we spend with them. Both stepped up to the plate as mentors this past weekend at Her Upland Grouse Camp and did an amazing job. Enjoy this episode in hearing from an amazing, beautiful person inside and out that Mrs. Rachel Willard is. All right, let's get after it. And I like this because we're sitting here face yes. to face. This makes yes. a big difference for me. And we have a picture. <laughs> and a margarita. And a pitcher to go. Margaritas. <laughs> yes. And
2: these super fancy Her Upland drink cups.
1: Aren't they nice? Those
2: are so sweet.
1: Coming soon to a Her Upland event mm-hmm. near you. Oh yes. <laughs> Cheers, Rachel. Cheers. Oh, I love having you here. Uh, thanks, Courtney. Thanks mm-hmm. for having me. I don't think I've ever asked you before, but like, did you grow up hunting at all?
2: So I did not. Okay. No, I didn't grow up hunting. Uh, my greater family does, like my grandpa and my uncle and a lot of my mom's family did. Um, but I didn't. I grew up in the city, kind of a, a city girl with a country girl heart. Um, But didn't grow up hunting, Um, was exposed to it and fine with it, but not something I personally ever did. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until, so Andrew, my husband grew up hunting and his parents and, you know, not mom, but dad and brothers all hunted a lot. And grandma. And grandma. She doesn't hunt, but she's a crazy awesome fly fish. That's right, fly fish. Yeah, she's 93 and slays it on the river still. She's (laughs) awesome.
0: I love it. I love it.
2: Yeah. So then Andrew, I think it was maybe four or five years ago he and his brother had been wanting to get into hunting more. Like they grew up hunting and then as they got older, they would maybe go on one deer hunt a year, but they both expressed the desire to hunt more. Mm-hmm. So my sister-in-law and I were like, well, shoot, we're not going to be hunters widows. Like we're going to come hunting with you guys. <laughs> so we took hunters out together awesome. and we got, we have the same exact gun, uh, for rifles, what we really were mostly doing, okay. then, big the
1: game hunting. How old were you when you, when you got your hunt, your license then? Um, probably
2: 25, okay. 25. So I think I've had four hunting seasons so far, um, mostly big game, and yeah, it's been, it's been fun.
1: So tell me about your big game hunting. Have you had success?
2: Yeah, lots of uh, antlerless whitetail um, is mostly what we go after. So uh, Andrew was huge in teaching me how to hunt and practicing, and then my uncle, my mom's brother, um, is a really avid hunter and really experienced, and he lives in uh, western Nebraska, and so they spend a lot of time hunting and fishing and um, have access to a lot of public, or not public land, private land. Okay. And so I called up Uncle Bob, and I said, hey, Bob. And he said, hey, Rachel, I didn't even know you had my phone number. I didn't know I had your phone number. Um, and I said, hey, do you think you could take me deer hunting? And he hemmed and hawed and said, well, maybe. And I said, I really just want to get a doe. And he said, oh, yeah, well, in that case, we could definitely get you a doe. Um, they protect the bucks a little bit more. Um, But everyone's happy to get rid of does. So we palled out to western Nebraska and um, got to go shoot a big, nice, actually a mule deer doe at that time. Uh, Cool. um, Which was super fun. Yeah. So, yeah, the only doe of that season. And I think I've had one or two does every year since then. Um, Always, actually, technically one was a little buck. Um, probably like six months old little Bambi. Yeah.
1: But But was it delicious? So delicious. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Andrew had shot a big bull that year. Okay. So we didn't need meat. Mm -hmm. Um, we were just out looking for practice and experience and nice, um, came across this group of four, what we thought were decent sized whitetail. Um, and ended up going after the biggest of the four, uh, got over to him after I shot and ended up being this itty bitty little buck, <laughs> not even antlers on his head. Of course. Yeah. It's the antlerless license, but yeah, but oh, yeah, cool. so it's
1: been fun. Yeah. Like how has your family responded to that? been like, wow, Rachel, I had no idea. Or are they just like,
2: yeah, yeah, I get, I get a little bit of that. Um, and then a lot of like, well, this just makes so much sense. Um, cause I've loved the outdoors and I've loved animals and I've loved just everything about nature mm-hmm um so yeah they've been really encouraging and just excited that I've gotten to connect so much with my extended family through it which has been really cool like like my uncle and that side of the family I didn't really connect with all that well and we spent a lot of time together since then which has been really fun that is cool so yeah so they they weren't that surprised I've always been kind of a rather have dirt under my
1: fingernails than paint (laughs) so I get the impression that like you're not too fearless of much of anything.
2: (laughs) Yeah, not so much. Uh, Maybe spiders. Spiders Spiders will freak me out. But besides that, I'm creepy crawl, nah, Creepy crawlies will get me but. yeah
1: when andrew was saying like oh yeah she, like <laughs> one night she came over and she had just been digging in cadavers and like right. formaldehyde <laughs> and like oh yeah, yeah she gets she gets after yep, it yep.
2: yeah it was fun because even before uh before i had hunted myself my sister-in-law and i helped our, our husbands andrew and his brother we had helped them process their game okay so they came over to our kitchen I should win wife of the year inside my kitchen. It looked like a, a murder scene in there because we had paint tarps all over the place and this big cooler full of all these deer parts, yeah. um, that we pulled out giant quarters. And that was my first experience. So I was like, okay, I had, I had dissected cadavers by that point, but I was like, right. okay, how will I do with, you know, a little bit fresher meat or warm, not warm. They had been cool. They okay. were in coolers and okay. had already been field dressed. So just quarters and okay. spines and things. And I was like, <gasps> oh my gosh, this anatomy is incredible. Like, oh, Andrew, if this muscle was on a human, it'd be called infraspinatus. And he was like, whoa, 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 Rachel. Like, <laughs> stop right there. I don't want to hear any more about humans. Um, but yeah, so it's super interesting. Not that's sure cool. if this will gross you out. But the yeah. skills I gathered um, doing all the cadaver dissection translate into really good field processing of animals. I bet. Um, there's a ton of similarity just in how we're all designed as mammals. And right. Um, yeah, so it's, I actually really enjoy it That's until really you do an 800-pound elk, and it takes 16 hours, and then you really hate it a lot. Oh that was. A, That's a, a how long, long it weekend. takes. When Andrew and I did his elk together, it took two probably eight-hour days. Wow. Because we're pretty fussy. That's intense. Um,
1: so yeah. what makes you fussy? Like, like because obviously I've never done this before. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, what do you think that you do that maybe? Uh, others don't put that much precision into it.
2: Oh, I'm not sure about others. Okay. Um, but we care a lot about getting all the meat we can from the animal. Okay. So we don't want anything to go to waste. Um, so some people that I've, well, some people I've seen process, like some of my uncle's kind of redneck friends in sure. Nebraska, yeah. um, they would take off a lot of the meat, but maybe leave some on the bones that it was too much effort to get off or, um, a lot of the the farther you get towards the you know the, the distal limb. I don't know what the non-PT word would be. <laughs> Towards the hoof, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot more tendons and a lot more silver skin or fascia, um, so it takes time to get that out. Okay. Or you can grind it up and eat it. Um, and so I think a lot of people actually throw away a lot of the less desirable cuts of meat, sure. um, like from the elbow down. Sort of an idea. Okay. Um, and so we take a lot of time to get all of that. Like we get all the neck meat and all the, in between the ribs if we can. And we just And you'll grind that up? Yeah, we'll grind it all okay. up. Okay. Yeah. So we usually save, because I, it's so easy to cook ground meat.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, so we usually save a lot of them um, uh, for roast and things off of the rear hind quarters, because mm-hmm. that's where the best cuts come. And then tenderloins or back straps. I will admit we've even ground up those before. Really? Yeah. And
1: isn't that like the best part? That Yeah. You, okay. But we don't, <laughs> We, we don't eat steak
2: that much because uh-huh. I do most of the cooking and I don't know how to cook steak. Okay. And so it's so easy when it's ground up to make it into yeah. anything you would use ground beef for. Um, but yeah, so most we, we grind almost everything. That's And awesome. so we, yeah, we just value the meat. We don't buy meat from the grocery store at all, except for bacon. If we're going to wrap something in bacon Okay. and maybe once or twice a year shrimp, just because it's delicious, yeah. But even fish, we'll go fishing. As I or, say,
1: because you guys fish a lot too, yeah, don't you? Yeah, we'll fish, yeah.
2: not as much as Grandma would like. Okay. We got scolded for not <laughs> fishing enough. Because <laughs> now we have all these bird dogs and spend a lot of time with our puppies. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that's I think that's why we're fussy is because we yeah. we care about getting the meat to be as good as we can,
3: mm-hmm.
2: cleaning off all that silver skin, yeah. which takes time. We're probably not the best at it, so that takes longer. And then we eat nothing but elk and venison and goose and wild birds as
1: much as we can, which is amazing when all you eat is red meat.
3: Yeah. Um, What is,
1: what is maybe like one of the most bizarre things that you eat? Like some eat the tongue. Like do you eat the tongue?
2: Uh, we've, I've had cow tongue. I've never had wild game tongue. Okay. We've kept heart and liver, haven't Mm -hmm. cooked them yet. Okay. We have a two year old liver in the freezer right now, has not been cooked. Andrew claims he wants to cook it someday. (laughs) Um, what's the most bizarre we did eat the heart and liver out of a turkey once.
1: Okay. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. I so, mean, I like I watch a lot of meat eaters, so I, like yeah, they're all yeah. about eating the heart. Right. So
2: Yeah. We haven't done that yet. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. We, we have planned on it. It's in the freezer. Yeah. We've saved them. We just haven't cooked them yet. I do want to try it just, yeah. just well, to see. Well, when we cook
1: it, we'll have you guys well, over. I and... don't really know if I'm going to say <laughs> that. <laughs> That's fair. Like, well... Maybe after a margarita or two, I might. <laughs> yeah, we'll fix you up some margaritas. We'll have, like, heart appetizers. Okay. So
2: I have had heart before um, okay. in Peru. Uh, bite Or not bison, cow heart. And it's delicious because uh, it's just a muscle. Uh-huh. Just like tongue is a muscle. Right. Um, when you get to, like, intestines and Ooh. stomach, we I had that in Peru as well. And it's just... Really? Yeah, it's not... I didn't like it. I mean,
1: that's the digestive system. Exactly. So don't you want to stay away from that? I would, yes. I agree with staying away from that, but they loved it, so I
2: think it might be an acquired
1: taste. Yeah, And you guys gave us some of your bear meat from Andrew's harvest this season, and that was delicious. Yeah,
2: I was surprised. Everyone had said, oh my goodness, bear is so greasy, and um, Andrew, there were three bears that the three guys each harvested a bear on that trip, and the, the other guys didn't want their bear. So we brought home three bear, Andrew brought home three bears. And I was at first, I was a little grumbly because it takes a long time to process. Yeah, for and I sure. said, Andrew, next time, don't take their bear meat. I don't <laughs> want to do this much work because I hadn't tried it. And I was like, yeah. what if we go to all this time and effort and money that goes into the materials that we process it with? And then we we cooked some up in the Instant Pot and we ate it. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then they smoked, we smoked a whole quarter, which was phenomenal. Yeah. Kind of like a cross between a honey-baked ham and a um, like a... Beef roasted something, smoked yeah. beef of some sort. Yeah. Um, taco meat's phenomenal. It was surprisingly I had there for good. lunch today. It's so good. Yeah.
1: So that's, that's what you guys bears. just mainly eat is your wild game.
2: Yep. At home, we eat 100% wild game. I love it. So if somebody comes over to our house for dinner,
1: no, they eat, They know that that's game. what you're going to get.
2: I have also given away wild game in meals I've prepared for other people and not told them yeah. on several occasions. Yeah. And nobody knows. Nobody <laughs> says a thing. I gave some chucker soup to a neighbor when they were sick. Oh, nice. They had no idea it wasn't. And they said it was amazing. They loved it. They thought it was chicken noodle soup. Yeah. It was chucker pheasant chicken noodle soup.
1: Was it? It And I thought it was delicious. It was really good. Oh, my gosh. Yep. That's awesome. What about upland hunting? When was the first time that you've gone (gasps) and done that? Did you walk with for a while, or were you like right away, you're like, yep, I'm going to go... Yeah, so I didn't
2: walk with um, that we started upland hunting. Andrew grew up upland hunting, mostly pheasants, maybe some quail as well. Okay. And so his parents have a little cabin kind of in south-central Nebraska, and his dad has made relationships with a lot of the farmers in that area. And so we went out with his family for a pheasant hunt. This was probably, I don't know if it was two years ago. I want to say it was about two years ago. So I haven't been upland hunting very long at all. OK, And I didn't have a shotgun, mm-hmm. so borrowed one from a friend's kid. Um, one of our friends from church had a 13- or 14-year-old daughter, and he said, "Oh, I have a gun. maybe it'll fit you." took it. Uh, I had never shot a gun before, or never shot a shotgun before. Yeah. I'd shot rifles and handguns. And so we, we said, "All right, well Rachel, let's try to you know, get you to shoot a clay pigeon before we go and look for birds." So we go out to this field and toss a clay pigeon, and I bang! miss. Okay, we'll toss another one. Bang, miss. Toss another one. Bang, and I'm like, okay, I, I, this is frustrating. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I said, can I try to hit something that's not moving before I hit something moving? <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. So we put a clay pigeon uh, on a bale of hay, just a hay field out in the hay field. Yep. And I go, bang, miss. And I was like. Okay, what is going wrong? so I didn't have a clue how to line up the shotgun, mm-hmm. and the boys hadn't told me, which I don't blame them, mm-hmm. but so finally, we figured that out, and I still don't think I hit one moving, <laughs> but I at least was had shot the gun, yeah, uh, so we went walking up and down some kind of shelter belts between some agricultural fields, and I think I flushed, we flushed maybe a pheasant or two, we didn't have bird dogs, okay. uh, we were hunting, this was uh these my husband, Andrew, his brother, and then myself and my sister-in-law. And so we flushed, my sister-in-law and I flushed a bird. We were hunting with a husky and our Australian shepherd, Mutt Dog.
3: (laughs) And they were just along for the ride. They were just having a good time, right? Yeah, they were another body (laughs) pushing
2: birds. Uh, And so I did fire a shot at the bird. I think I was, in retrospect, really far behind it. I didn't lead at all. Um, But we had a lot of fun and Mm So I think we hunted just a little bit there, um, and I don't remember. It wasn't on that trip that I shot my first pheasant. Uh, it was either later that year or the next season. I don't remember. Okay. Um, and that was really exciting. My little mutt dog was with me then, Aww. and he was no help at all. In fact, I, he, he, yeah, he. He wasn't gun shy though. He wasn't gun shy. No, Perfect. we had we had desensitized him. Yeah. So we would clap two by fours while he was eating his food, and yeah. Um. Then we took him to the woods one day while we were shooting the handgun, okay. and I stayed probably hundred yards away with him. And every time Andrew shot, I gave him a treat. Shoot, treat, shoot, treat, and we just gradually got closer and. Um, then we went squirrel hunting was actually the purpose of that day. Yeah. And, oh, that's probably the strangest thing I've eaten. The squirrel. Is squirrel. How did you How did you prepare it? Uh, the boys made squirrel biscuits and gravy. Uh-huh. It was out of the meat eater, one of the Stephen ranelli meat eater
3: cookbooks. Yes.
2: And it was really good. They slow roasted the squirrel with bourbon and apples and onions. Yeah. And it was really good. But there was that psychological piece of, right. like, oh, I'm eating a squirrel. Yeah. So that made it... <laughs> That's interesting. It's that's that's what I get stuck in a lot. <laughs> yeah. Is the head part right, of it? Like right.
1: like oh I I know what I'm eating. Yeah.
2: Although we had rabbit last year, Andrew okay. shot this beautiful rabbit around Thanksgiving, and it was really good. It tasted like yeah. beef, actually,
1: strangely. Yeah. So how did you prepare that? Because I we've have we have some rabbit. Do you really? Yeah.
2: Nice. Yeah. So we made rabbit. Chicken and dumplings. Mine's the chicken. So Mm -hmm. rabbit and dumplings. Like in a soup. In a soup. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so we had dumplings. I think we put biscuits on top of that. This thick gravy stew mixture. Uh, We had slow roasted the rabbit in the instant pot prior to that. It was really good. It was really good. It was really good. I texted a picture to my parents, um, and said, Hey, oh my gosh, look at this rabbit! Isn't it beautiful? Here's how we cooked it. My dad said, We're eating out every night when we come to visit. (laughs) (laughs) I will not be being fed rabbit
1: knowingly or unknowingly. oh, dad, you're missing out. It's so good. My mom's the same way. She's she's actually coming to visit next week, and she doesn't trust anything we make, so she, oh, no. like, stands in the kitchen, and she's like, can we... Yeah. Like, she likes to see it, you know, yeah. in wrap. In wrap <laughs> from the Will grocery she eat store. any wild game? Um, no. Yeah, we, I've made birds for her, and she's tried it, and she's like, oh, yeah, I like it. But okay. I'm like, you don't really like it.
3: <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
1: I think it's that same thing. She's surprised yeah. that she doesn't like it. It's probably, like... Well, yeah, I just it's the know what it is. And it is. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't
2: tell her. But yeah. she she knows your tricks. She does. She would know the tricks. Absolutely. She does. And But yeah. I do.
1: I blame that of like why I'm such a picky eater oh, yeah. and scared to try things because we just, you know, it's, yeah. it's how you're raised in that mentality. For and, sure. But For I sure. do try. I do eat a lot more green things than I used to in the past. That's good. So.
2: Well, green things are so-so, but meat, we can eat all the, yeah. all the crazy meats. Yeah. But.
1: I want to try more crazy meats.
2: Okay, next time we shoot some crazy meat. Yeah, I need to shoot some
1: crazy meat this year.
2: Yeah. I can do it. Like a rabbit?
1: Well, (laughs) (laughs) Like, even if I shoot a deer, I think that's a crazy meat for me. (laughs) Yeah. Have you done any big game hunting? No.
2: No, Mm -mm. not at all.
1: Nope, I haven't. Yeah. So, but um, I'm ready to. It's just, every time I'm like, oh, I want to go do this, Mm -hmm. I really want to just grab my dogs. For
3: sure. And do that
1: instead. Yeah, I can relate. it's not that I don't want to do it. I just really love being with my dogs.
2: Absolutely. So it's yeah. tough. I can relate to that because yeah. we've talked a lot about archery, mm-hmm. like the thrill of the calling in a bull or, you know, cause you, you get so close and intimate during archery hunting. I think we would love it, but whenever anybody asks like, Hey, you know, are you going to archery hunt? Say, no, we're going to be hunting birds, 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 and yeah. then enough big game to fill the freezer. Yeah. So hopefully we get an elk cause that would do the trick and maybe a deer or two. And then birds, because the dogs are so fun. It is so fun. And you can't leave them home. Right. So let's talk about the dogs. Let's talk about dogs. That's why
1: we're here in the first place. (laughs) Let's talk about the dogs. Um, Yeah. So when did you guys finally decide that, like, we like upland hunting so much, we want to get a bird dog now?
2: Yeah. So a lot of the challenge initially with a bird dog was that we'd have to get a puppy. And our work schedules pre-COVID wouldn't allow that to do it well because uh, we both worked outside the home um, and me, especially as a physical therapist, I don't have the flexibility to come home enough to take care of a puppy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And Andrew at the time, his job really wasn't work from home friendly. He's in the business world, but wasn't work from home friendly. And so then we lost our mutt dog. He passed away and then COVID happened or in some order. Maybe he, he, maybe COVID happened first, but regardless. Um we moved to Montana and then because of covid then the world has become so work from home friendly so we were in need of a dog still had dog fever of course yeah. um and now we could actually get a puppy and so the first dog was our mutt which was our rescue and because he was an adult we were able to manage him at home with both working um and so we said all right i think it's time to time to get a puppy and a bird dog of course is what we'd get since Andrew had really wanted a bird dog, yeah. and I was getting on board, but didn't quite fully understand how less, how much less successful you would be hunting birds without bird dogs. Um, uh, so I was ready to dive in and mm-hmm. went down the puppy journey.
1: Yay. Yes. Did Andrew grow
2: up with bird dogs? He did. He did. Yeah. What so breeds did he have? Mostly English setters. Okay, cool. Yep. So English setters is what he primarily grew up with. His parents now have French Britneys. Okay. And they're fun little dogs too. They
1: are fun little dogs. Yeah. So why the poodle pointer?
2: Yeah. So the mutt that we'd had was a big, fluffy, white, hairy, hairy, hairy Australian shepherd mix who somehow snuck his way onto the very soft navy blue couch in our house. And he probably spent 20 hours of the day and night on this navy blue couch. And so we had lost him, it had been over a year, and I still was finding this dog's hair in my house, even when we had moved from Colorado to Montana, mm-hmm. and this dog didn't live in the house, or in, in the new house. Mm-hmm. So I was curious if it would be possible for there to exist such a thing as a bird dog that didn't shed mm-hmm. as much. So that's how my search began, was hunting dogs that don't shed. Yeah. And the first thing, of course, that pops up is this lovely, squirrely-looking poodle pointer. And so I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And Andrew had actually seen an article about poodle pointers in the Gun Dog magazine probably a couple weeks prior. So it was two pings on the radar. Yeah. So I was like, well, this is cool. I think I was at work one day and didn't actually have a lot going on. And so I started researching poodle pointers. And the more I learned about them, they just fit the bill for everything. Because we, we enjoy upland hunting and waterfowl and love the idea of this on and off switch that the poodle pointers and a lot of the other versatiles are, are you know supposed to have. Yes. Uh, you have to build it into them and work out the energy. Um, we just learned poodle pointers are just amazing family dogs and really affectionate. Um, and just, yeah, the more we researched, we felt like, okay. I said, Andrew, if we're going to get a bird dog, I want a poodle pointer. <laughs> and we said, all right, let's, let's see about getting one.
1: Yeah. So how did you decide on the breeder that
2: you decided on? Yeah, that was quite a journey. So we just started searching breeders in the area. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't want to go to Tennessee to get a dog or somewhere far away and just started researching different breeders and different websites popped up. And there were several in the area. There's like Wendy Sage and Billings and then Cedarwoods and Boise and a couple others around. Mm-hmm. And so we just read on their websites, and Andrew said, well, if we're going to get a poodle pointer, I want to get one of the best. <laughs> so we we found, I think it's pronounced NAPA, I'm not actually sure, but the North American Poodle Pointer Alliance, yep. and researched them. And they had lists of test scores, and we found NAVDA and lists of test scores, and if you filtered by Poodle Pointer, Cedarwoods came up a lot. Yeah. Cedarwoods, 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 Killbuck, Cedarwoods, Cedarwoods, Windy Sage, Cedarwoods, Cedarwoods, Cedarwoods.
3: Yeah.
2: So Andrew says, Rachel, I want a Cedarwoods dog. And I said, okay, well, let's send him an email. So we send this generic email off that I'm sure the guy gets, you know, a thousand of the same email every every day. Yeah. And the subject was interest in Poodle Pointer puppy and said, hey, you know, we want a puppy. We, what's your wait list like? And We get back this very copy and pasted email, very long, very strange colors and shapes and fonts. And with these five attachments at the bottom um, (laughs) that are each like 47 pages long. (laughs) And it says, hey, guys, thanks for your interest. Um, You know, I don't have any litters on the floor right now. Reach back out in January and we'll chat then. This was in August of 2021. And so we're like, all right, well, let's read over this information. So we go on the scavenger hunt through all this information about poodle pointers and NAVDA and testing dogs and training dogs. And finally on page like 26 of the fourth document, it says, if you want to be on the wait list, uh, he send me this information. So Andrew and I like, look at my, look at each other and we're like, well, shoot, let's send him the information. Yeah. Uh, and so we send him that information and, uh, finally reach out and have a phone call with him as well. Uh, and he says, yeah, guys, well, I have you on the wait list, but I just want to let you know at any given time, there's, you know, 90 to 150 people on my wait list. Uh, and he says, but I don't do my wait list based on how long you've been waiting. I do my wait list based on how much I think you want one of my dogs and would be a good owner and match for my dogs. And so we went on this probably six month quest to be the most um, assertive of how much we want one of his dogs. So I think we called him about once a month, sent an email at least every other week, if not more than that, sent him pictures of us with grouse saying, there's only one thing missing. We just need a dog in this grouse picture. <laughs> um, and so even then, Andrew said, Rachel, I just, I'll just, i be so disappointed if we don't get a dog. We should probably reach out to others. Mm-hmm. And it was right around that time that we got an email from from Bob Ferris of Cedarwoods Kennels in Boise that was very short, very succinct, and it said, Hi, Rachel and Andrew, just want to let you know I put you on the litter list for this litter. So we're like, what's a litter list? Are we one of, like, 50? And so we called him then later that week, and we were one of six, I think, that had made this litter list for this litter. Wow. uh, Yeah, so we were floored. We were elated and floored and so excited, and so we got to follow along as Sage was conceived, and then when she, we knew about when she'd be born, and we yeah. heard shortly after that. We saw pictures weekly of her, well, of the puppies. We didn't know which one was
1: ours at that right. point.
2: Aww. And, yeah, we were just so excited, so thrilled to have
1: gotten her. And you guys, like, I know I've said this to you a lot of times, but you guys, this poodle pointer that you have, stunning. Like, stunning. The first, like, I think, Andrew, as soon as you guys left the house and had her in in the, you know, in your car, he sent me a photo. I'm like, Oh my God, her coat is so fantastic. Yes. (laughs) Which doesn't come easy for the breed. Totally. And so when you see ones that have that, it's just really, really nice. She had a perfect amount of facial hair and the body coat was tight and Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We, I adore her. Thank you. We do as well. Uh, yeah, we, we feel really fortunate because a
2: lot mm-hmm. of them are so squirrely. Andrew says a lot of them look like cancer survivor patients that are just regrowing <laughs> some does. chemo hair. And some it's of some... them do. Yeah. I have to say, Courtney, you're on a, an amazing mission to save the world of squirrely poodle pointers. <laughs> uh, one, one truck top um, grooming session at My a time. <laughs>
1: That poor guy pulling gobs of hair. Yeah, Joel, if you're listening and you tell me that you do listen, I'm so sorry. I just ripped the hair out of your dog right before you got the scores of your test the other day because I'm like, oh, you probably would have liked to have a photo with the judges. (laughs) said, well, just make her sit down. <laughs> yeah. But she had such a great coat underneath all yeah, that dead yeah. hair. Right. Did you see that? It's oh so my pretty. gosh. Yeah, so, yeah. She
2: was gorgeous. But yeah. But it's really- one of those
1: things And even when you guys came mm-hmm. over for the first time, I was like, yeah. Okay. So this is what you do. Just yes. start pulling all this hair and, and maintain yeah. this because she's got a great foundation and a totally. her coat here. Some people are neurotic over coats. Yeah. Like your hair coats. Like but me. it's so worth it because I, I feel like
2: this age, it's a combination of good genetics. Yeah. Yeah. Great food. Yeah. And then really good um, You training us how to take care of her coat. And we love it. It's so addictive. Yeah. With that charcoal brush, when you're scraping away and you see the gobs of hair that didn't come out with any other brush or tool, it's so satisfying. So if I get her tired and give her a bone, I'll sit there for like half an hour, just pulling the hair out of her. And it's so satisfying. She
3: does. Yeah.
2: Sometimes. Yeah.
3: They love it. She also
2: likes to eat the charcoal thing and it (laughs) makes awful (laughs) sounds, but. (laughs) It
1: is the worst sound. She did that (laughs) the other day and I was like, oh, that's awesome. Nails and a charcoal. it's worse. It's horrible.
2: But yeah, so we're appreciative for you helping us take good care of our, our yeah. poodle pointer. Oh, she's I'm, I'm glad I she's could stunning. I was worried at first that it was just like ugly baby syndrome that every mom thinks their own baby's so cute, even though they're not all babies right. are cute. Right. But lots of people have told us she's really a good looking dog. dog. Nobody knows what she is, but everyone thinks she's very beautiful.
1: What do, what do people think that she is?
2: Uh, so now that we have the second one that's not a poodle pointer, um, when they see the pair of them together, uh, they think they're drothars. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So somebody else said she can, could look yeah. like a
1: drothar. She's got that coat. You She's know? got the coat. So yeah. And then this big, that. F- fluffy big, bearded face. Big, beautiful head. Yeah. 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 Testing her. So was that a requirement of Bob that she be natural ability tested or that you did any of that?
2: Not at all. Okay. No, so it wasn't a requirement, and we didn't really know that that was even a thing. And it wasn't until we started getting into NAVDA uh, that we became exposed to the testing world. And initially, we kind of hemmed and hawed, should we test her, should we not? And actually, after our our second time that we brought her up here to see you and William— uh, William was like, well, I don't know if you should test her. It was the day that she did not use her nose. She was 11 weeks old. Mm -hmm. Uh, we were trying to get her to smell a pigeon in a launcher because she was visually stimulated by pigeons, but had no nose at all, just absolutely none. So we had, we had her walking around really close to this little pigeon in the launcher and she was not interested at all. And so finally I was on one side and then William was directly across from her uh, and the pigeon was right in between William and Sage. And he called her to him. So she ran to him and ran right over top and fell over the pigeon launcher. <laughs> and so he actually, I remember Courtney, he was like, well, Rachel, I don't I don't know if you guys should test her. And she just was a... She, like ever? She a,
1: Did he think well, he meant ever I think or he like anytime this year? I think
2: he might have meant anytime <laughs> this year. But yeah, he asked. He said, well, yeah. You know. I mean, she's 11 weeks old. Right. Well... <laughs> he's like, well, are you required to test her? No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, I don't know if you guys need to or not. It's up to you. <laughs> um, oh and so, yeah, so we came to the, the NAUT handlers clinic that you guys put on mm-hmm. and that was our first exposure to any of the testing. That okay. was our first NAVDA event, period. Oh, first nice. training anything. Yeah. And we were just like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, so I obviously didn't grow up hunting or training hunting dogs, but I grew up loving dogs. Mm-hmm. My favorite show growing up as a kid was on Animal Planet called Breed All About It. Yes. Um, and it was just dog breed and you learned about it. And they give little bones for their coat and their disposition and their <laughs> child friendliness and trainability. And I've always loved the idea of working dogs and training mm-hmm. dogs for a purpose. So our Aussie mutt. Um, I trained him very amateurly, but for agility, mm-hmm. just because I loved it. Just yeah. because I, I bought this little Amazon set of agility things and it. Uh, threw it in the backyard, and never had formal training, never competed. Just, you didn't
1: compete; you just did it for fun, just for fun. I we love weren't that. very good, but okay. we had fun. Yeah.
2: And so this testing world, our eyes open to that. We're like, this is really fun because it kind of fulfilled in me that dog training and. I'll say showing, right? The showing yeah. side of things that I had always yearned for as a kid, but yeah. never had the opportunity to actually fulfill. Um, and so, Andrew and I talked, and we were very fortunate to even get signed up for a test because we were so late to the ballpark on everything. Um, the the Sharp Tail chapter only by word of mouth had kind of were, we had heard that they would be opening up a test, mm-hmm. and so as time went forward, I don't remember even when we signed up for it, yeah. but we were very wishy washy. Um, cause we were kind of felt like Sage was a
1: dud. Yeah. But she went from like, I don't want to even say like zero cause there wasn't, but like yeah. she went from like, like a low and like peaked. Oh, totally. Like, don't you feel like it was almost like overnight? Oh my gosh. From one yeah. week to the next week yeah.
2: over the course of about a month, it was just flip, switches were flipping right. left and right. Just nonstop in her. Right. Um, developing drive and developing a nose and developing pointing. And, uh, so we were, I was so having so much, having so much fun. I was the one really pushing to like, Hey, let's, let's test her. And Andrew was supportive as well. And so we got signed up for the sharp tail test and then we were like, okay, what in the world do we do next (laughs) what is our training plan going to (laughs) be?
1: But I mean, you guys like you're super keen and with, with all the dog training stuff, I mean even when you were just describing earlier with your other your previous dog and mm. getting it used to the the shooting to know to stand away and then come fo- like mm. uh, that's not you know that's just not like kind of a typical thing that people just don't know anything about dogs and just do something like that, so you're really keen on understanding and being able to read the dog so that's that's really helpful but I just think sage went from overnight to I mean, yeah. there's why we're like you guys are like, oh, she's not really super excited to swim, <laughs> and you yeah. all look at her. Oh my gosh, she's a maniac. Yeah, <laughs> everything that we
2: said, oh, she's not that excited about birds. Yeah. she's a psychopath. <laughs> oh, she doesn't like the water. You know, she doesn't like bumpers. She's she's she has yeah. grown in phenomenal ways. It's yeah, been, it's been really cool. But yeah. yeah, thank you, thank you for your kind words. I oh, well, yeah, appreciate it. And yeah, No, you guys do great. Love dogs.
1: <laughs> but I mean, look at okay. So look at that when you say she was what 11 weeks. And then you tested her when she was five months?
2: No, six and a half. Six and a no, half. Wait, right. At, no, no, no. Right at six, six months, six months. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Six months. Yeah. Exactly. So that's,
1: that's a really yeah. short
2: time to learn a lot oh, of things. Yeah. yeah to it turn it on. Definitely encouraging yeah. to share with others. Like yeah. we've met others. We have another friend that has a little Weimaraner puppy. Who's, four and a half or five months old and just encouraging her like, yeah, he's showing great potential already. Mm-hmm. And they develop at different paces Absolutely. and sometimes it's one day and different
1: dogs will develop at different rates. Yeah. And, but
2: those switches can flip yeah. in a big
1: hurry. And I think that's just so important to remember is that yeah. they all develop but different stages. And, um, because people like, I mean, just today I posted a video with Hash Brown's pointing, that that the video you took, actually. Yeah. And then someone's like, oh, how old is he? And he's pointing already. Like, oh, you know, like, they're, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. They're all different ages. Yep. Don't compare. Um, should like, have seen the other five dogs. Right? <laughs> right. You should have seen Wade Wilson. Right. Wade Wilson. He's a lover. Yes. Who, who the trainer <laughs> loves the best out of all of them. And he just literally stepped on a bird and was like. Didn't even, I still don't think he even knew he stepped on it.
2: No, he yeah. didn't. He wasn't, he was not clued in at all. Yeah. And A lot of them just charged up and grabbed him. Yeah. So the birds weren't very fleshy. Yeah. Mine, our little baby, charged in and grabbed it and then hid under two trucks, playing truck keep away for <laughs> keep about, away the about 20 minutes. It felt like 20 minutes of crawling on my tummy, trying to get the dog out who's mauling this two? bird.
1: Another one did that too. One of my puppies did that yeah, too. I think Effie maybe was Effie. Yeah.
2: playing keep away. Stinkers
1: stinkers <laughs> so let's talk about your your test so you had first gone to um the the demonstration mm-hmm. like the natural ability demonstration and then had you ever volunteered at a natural ability test to really kind of know how the whole situation would play out
2: not until the day of her test okay and so we we volunteered at her test. And we were, I was so fortunate with how that had played out that we I volunteered. Andrew and I both helped out on Saturday. The day
1: before you tested. And
2: she tested on Sunday. Okay. So that timing was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we had been to the, the Handler's Clinic. And then we had listened to on your Patreon account, there was a an NA and a UT, different sessions that talk you through. We've read numerous books. Uh, yeah. Bob, our breeder, Bob Ferris wrote a book that's about training and testing versatile dogs. Awesome. Read that. We've watched hundreds of YouTube videos from Standing Stone and Cornerstone and yeah. all sorts of different different training sites. And, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, so we felt pretty familiar with what the test would be. We'd yeah. been in the world enough at that point to recognize, okay, the field search part and what we're allowed to do, mm-hmm. um, and then the the tracking section and how exactly that would work, and then the, the bumper fetching, uh, water water portion, I guess. So, yeah. So, so even though we hadn't volunteered yet, uh, we'd been exposed a lot and felt pretty good about that. Okay.
1: Okay. And how was your volunteer experience?
2: It was phenomenal. So, so helpful to be able to watch all the dogs and, and, and we had never been to that exact testing site. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had mostly trained with the big sky chapter and then we did the test with the Sharp Tail Chapter at a new testing location for them anyway. Okay. So nobody had ever been to that location, yeah. which happened to be about five minutes from our house so nice. instead of five hours uh, where the Sharp Tail chapter's normally trains. Yeah. Uh, so that was a huge blessing in itself. Yeah. But yeah, it was so helpful just to watch the flow and get a feel for, you know, the time frame and how long things take and how to make sure that we don't keep the judges waiting and... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I think you guys are the fastest bird planters, right? Didn't you like Thank you. set a record? We did, yeah, what we... Was, like the, the, the child like Burke, my son and mm-hmm. then um Finn, they were timing you, right? They like, were timing. Your yes. start to finish of planting birds in the field <laughs> and being back was what?
2: Well, I'm not sure. I think we got down to three and a half minutes. Uh, the judges were eager to move things along quickly, and the bird planters were the, the rate-limiting factor in and the And you were equation. running, right? Did you... We did some running, yes, uh, through, the, through the fields. Fortunately, not too many gopher holes. But, yeah, we got it oh Got it done. Learned a lot. Learned a lot about pheasants, actually, is what was in her field, field okay. section. Okay. And pheasants. Cool. Yeah, it was good.
1: Yeah. So it gets to be your test day. And, like, going into it, was there any portion that you kind of had hesitations or concerns about?
2: Not the day of. Okay. No, we had trained at a Big Sky training event the weekend prior on both Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. And basically had done mock tests both those days. Okay. Not official mock tests, just we did a field section and then we'd tracking with her and then we did the water portion as well. And so we knew she was doing awesome. Um, so Sunday before it, the timing couldn't have worked out better. Uh, Chris Trina, one of the uh, NAVDA judges, uh, he was out there just helping with the training day mm. and happened to walk with our group, lead our group when we were training Sage on her final little pigeon run. Uh, with one chucker in the fields, because we hadn't trained with chucker yet and okay. he said it's the dogs will point the birds they know what chucker they'll, they'll they will know that's a bird right. he said it's really psychological for the handler to know that the dog can point a chucker yeah. and so i he walked right beside me and i asked probably 50 questions of him on that day and the rest of the crowd you know there's always a bit of a, a crowd following you on those days um, not a big crowd, but yeah. six people probably. But he and I just walked so close together, and I was just pinging him questions. Okay, on the training or on the on the test, can I do this or what should I, can I, you know, when can I say something, when can I not? What should I tell the judges? Because uh, Sage and I and Andrew, we all tend to move fairly quickly. And then on these nav training days, you get delayed by this group of people. So you tend to walk a lot slower than you're used to. Right. Well, then Sage gets ranged out pretty far compared to me trying to stay in more contact with her. So I said to him like, Hey, Chris, I need to stay in touch with Sage. You know, how, how do I do that on the, on the testing day? And he said, Rachel, tell your judge, say, Hey, you know, I just want to let you know, we tend to walk kind of fast. And he said, just tell him that. And it's our job to keep up. Um, well, so yeah. he ended up actually being one of the judges for our test <laughs> and he was my handler, okay. which was such a huge relief. So he so kept up with you. He kept <laughs> up with me. Yes. And so I did tell him, I said, Oh, Chris, just want to let you know, we tend to walk kind of fast. And so then we walked through the field and he goes, Oh my gosh, you guys do walk fast. I don't know who walks faster, Rachel or Sage, <laughs> although she's sprinting, but, um, but awesome. so that was, yeah, huge. And just helping us feel calm and confident before the actual day of the test. Yeah. Prior to that, we had a lot of reservations about mostly the water portion and the tracking portions. Um, But right day of test, I had no, I was not concerned at all. Zero concern. Zero concern. Yeah.
1: So what did her field portion look like? Like how many birds did she find? And like, did she just nail those points beautifully?
2: She did really awesome. So we ran first on the second day. So it's it's 7 a.m. It's cool and dewy. Uh, And so... We kind of knew where the judges know where the birds are being planted. So I, you know, let go Sage and say, all right, let's go. That's kind of our our cue. And she takes off and starts, you know, running around in front of us and stops hard at a big fluffy um, mound of grass and is pointing. And Chris, um, the judge, said to me, he said, Rachel, do you think that's a, you know, she pointing a bird? And I'm like, what a silly question. I'm like, yes, of course. She, like, why wouldn't she be pointing a bird? Right. And so he says, okay, like, walk up to your dog. So I get over there. Um, cause she's still on point at this, at this point. And I go looking through this giant pile of grass and there's no bird. Oh. It was where they'd planted, you know, 10 birds the day before. Sure. I would, I would assume based on where Andrew had been putting the birds the day before. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I was like, I was, Oh, well, I guess pointing nothing's better than not pointing something. Yep. And so he's like, all right, you know, we'll just carry on and all right, Sage, let's go again. And, Kind of carried on another twenty yards or so, and she stops hard again, uh, pointing really well at another big clump of grass. And so I look in there, and at this point, I'm looking and looking. I'm like, "There's no bird in here." Well, next thing I know, it Sage actually has her mouth over top of this little pheasant, <laughs> and so I reach down and grab it quickly and toss it in the air, and uh, she takes off running and yipping her little poodle pointer yip. And <laughs> um, so then I think she ended up flushing, not flushing, pointing. Four birds total. Okay. Um, and we moved down the field. She flushed one. I think there were only four in the field okay. planted that day. Yeah, that's
1: right. Because you guys had all pheasant in the field, didn't you? All pheasant in the because field because they didn't have chucker. There weren't chuckers. Okay. So. Was that? I mean, you've done pheasant tracking with her before, but have mm-hmm. you had her? on like field search portion? Never, with... Yeah, no, okay. never. But... So it kind of came true of like what Chris had told you yep. earlier, right? With yep. the chucker and- yep. He said,
2: fish. yep, those instincts will know that that's a bird.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, but yeah, so we actually, so you're supposed to hunt for 20 minutes mm-hmm. and there was a big section of the field where they knew that birds hadn't intentionally been planted. So he said, all right, Rachel, we're in damage control. Like we don't want your dog to catch a bird. You know, we don't want something bad to happen. So just hunt her down that way. There's not birds down there but just let's kill some time on the clock. So we take Sage down this way and she's just having the best day ever. Running and running and running and <laughs> um so we hunt back and he actually tried to keep us from finding more birds. She at that point had, I think she had pointed three solid birds. And so he said, "You know, we're in he kept using the word damage control, right? Okay. Trying to not create bad habits in her by letting her catch one of these um, these kind of sleepy pheasants, they right. turned out to be really flighty, lively birds, Good. which Good. was awesome. No and they got up and they got out. They got up and Good. flew far and hard, which is awesome. Yeah. And so he says, okay, Rachel, keep, keep Sage on this side of the field and try to keep her this way. And she, Sage just, like, no, we are hunting the whole field. So I turn and actually walk <laughs> the other direction to use body language to get her to come with me, which she yeah. does. And she goes, no, there's another bird over here. And so she goes over and points another bird. And lets me go over there and um she held a point she she did it was a great day. Mm. She doesn't always have great days. Yeah. But that was a great day. That was a great really day. Great she great for her. she yeah. had
1: it on the best day. She
2: had a great day on the best day. <laughs> yeah, she was a rock star. Good. So at that point the nerves kind of whew, I kinda yeah. got my nerves out and then we got to wait for like three or four hours for the next portion.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. The, so the track is always kind of like that iffy part of it. Like you don't know what that pheasant's going to do. Yeah. And and I don't know if anybody had told you what the pheasant actually did for your track, but how did, how did she do on the track then?
2: She did really, really well. Okay. So we hadn't trained a lot of tracking pretty much through her whole uh, training. We really focused primarily on birds, right, on pointing, mm-hmm. uh, the field search portion, and then we intermixed that with looking for the um, water portion, I guess, for, okay. for searching for bumpers. Yeah, or Not searching, just swimming for bumpers. Swimming for
3: bumpers. Swimming for
2: bumpers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so just, I think, 10 days prior, we had started, We William had helped us look for, or help her, help her with her track portion, mm-hmm. and she wasn't doing so great on those days, so we did quite a few tracks prior to that. Okay. We bought a pheasant. Uh, from a guy in Missoula and kept it in a little dog crate by our house and took it out to our training grounds <laughs> and Her very last track that she did at with us was really good And we I learned a lot about how I should release her mm. of of that being different and keeping her calm and also the fact that on that field portion you can you can kind of get a a second go at it if you don't feel confident to release them on the first go you can circle back around with your hand still on the dog settle them back down and release again, which I had done, I think on two of the tracks we, we did about five days prior to that. Okay. But on the, on the day of the test, it felt so good. I let her go on the first one. Yeah. So bring up to the, the feather pile. You know, I keep my fingers down in it and let her smell it. Her head's to the ground her tails wagging. She's excited. And then I let her go and she immediately takes a hard right turn right in front of me and cuts behind me. Uh-huh. And I took a step forward, like a step, Some, I think, to the left. And Chris, uh, the judge, he said, nope, Rachel, you can't move. He said the most, he said, keep looking forward. The most you can do right now is keep looking forward in this direction. That's all you can do to help your dog. And so that portion of it felt like it took forever, right. which I know it was probably five seconds or ten at the most. Yeah. And next thing I know, it Sage comes up along my left side, nose still to the ground, and just follows this line straight, cuts like 45 degrees right, 45 degrees left, cuts straight, that probably took 10 seconds, and the head judge then said, Well, I've seen enough. And I knew at that point that she had slayed it. Yeah. So then I have to go chase down my dog. And so she had run off through a barbed wire fence into these thick brush. And so I go over there, and have my, my I have my vest on because I have her leash and my water bottles. And it was a tight barbed wire fence, so there were five lines to it and really close together and tightly wound. Mm-hmm. And so I can't get my vest. I can't get through with my vest on. So I take my vest off. I'm trying to be in a hurry to not slow the thing down. Finally get through there. Can't catch her because she's a psychopath looking for this bird. So I pretend like I found the bird. I, like, crouch down. I'm like, oh, look, here it is. So she comes running right up to me. I catch her, clip the lead, go to stand up, and I had missed the clip on her lead. So then she takes off again, I'm like, oh my gosh, there goes our cooperation score. This dog's a maniac. We're gonna get a terrible score, zero on cooperation. Not actually. Um, and so finally, somehow, magically, I get her back, and then Andrew had grabbed my vest. He showed up, we get her, and um, we knew she had done really well. So Andrew then said what she did was, when, when she went around me, her nose was to the ground the whole time, okay. so she never went searching. Her, her body language is different when she's hunting or searching. She just followed a tight circle right around us. I don't know if she was tracking one of the people or what she smelled. Came right back to the feather pile and just tracked all the way to the fence. Good girl. So she got a four on that, which is really awesome. Yeah. Really, really awesome. What a good girl. Yes,
1: she's awesome. It's, it's that part of like trusting your dog, right? Yeah, like yeah. Just, it, that's, I think that's the hardest part in the natural ability test is just having to stand there and hoping that, they <laughs> that yeah did they we do, do enough do did i release her right? right
2: what more could i have done and yeah. my heart really did drop at first when she hooked right i thought
1: oh shoot i mm-hmm. screwed it up i shouldn't have released her but she came through for me yeah. she's a good girl and you talked a little bit about the release right so Yeah. like for people listening that maybe haven't gone through the natural ability test yet can you go a little bit into that and maybe what you were doing before and how or and how you changed to to feel like, yep, I got this right. This is this feels good to me.
2: Yeah. So at the handler's clinic, William had showed to hold your hand palm up uh, under the collar so that when you release it, your hand doesn't pick up their head or doesn't interrupt their focus or concentration. Um, and so I was doing that and kind of slowly bringing her up and having my hand down low into the you know the other hand down low where she could be encouraged to smell the feathers. And I think the times when we were training and I chose to reset her was when her head popped up Mm. before I released her. And I think she was feeling eager to go hunting because that had been so successful for her in finding birds. She thought, well, why would I follow this track? I can just go hunt for birds and find them. And so I'm pretty sure the it happened so fast. A lot of it just was an intuition thing. But I think it was seeing her not be focused Mm -hmm. before I'd release her. So on a couple of those, I just kept a hang on, I kept a hold of her collar, kept hanging onto her collar, circled her around. Then I would put my my forearm in front of her chest, keep my hand on her collar, and just be calm. Right? She needs to learn that. Okay, we're tracking. We're not searching. Searching, I'd get her excited. All right, Sage, let's go. Where this one, I was like, all right, Sage, I'm just going to hold you steady. She's strong. She's 45 pounds of muscle. This dog is yeah. so strong for being a puppy. And but just holding her. She's real... a little
1: brick house. She totally yeah. is. Yeah, she's totally. She's a <laughs> yes. crazy, crazy,
2: yeah. awesome dog, but crazy. Um, just holding her steady, and then I released her again better those second times. Yeah. So, yeah, but that release really helps, I think. Yeah.
1: Next portion is the water,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I know you had no doubts with that, yeah,
2: not at that point. I had lots of doubts uh prior to the women's hunting camp, uh, the hunting dog training camp, yeah, just she wasn't she was really timid, sage was such a timid puppy, and it was hard to get her into the water, and she wouldn't walk through a puddle if we were on a walk, she would not get her toes wet in a puddle. she was just she hadn't had a bad experience, she just didn't like it um. But so then on the test day, we'd obviously been through a lot of transformation in that category as well. And yeah. uh, one thing that had helped us along the way is Sage is so play motivated. That's her biggest motivator is play. She's not that food motivated, and she's not that affection motivated. Mm-hmm. She likes affection, but it's not her motivator. And so, the biggest suggestion somebody had shared with us was to do this two bumper game. So she, you know, get her excited about one bumper, and get her to, you know, just to be excited about the bumpers. And then lure her back with a second bumper, and just made it fun. So for for a month or more, we had just had so much fun. No rules at the water. You can jump. You can play. You can be naughty. Just so much fun and so much play. Where we'd get in the water, we'd splash, we'd play. And so on the day of the test, the judges always at the beginning go through this little spiel about at the at the test you can talk, you can be fun. And, and I said, kids are the best because they just have so much fun. And I thought, well, shoot, I want to have fun too. <laughs> so I got my two little bumpers and I'm, all right, Sage, let's go, let's play. And wiggling them around. And I didn't need to be that exuberant, but we had fun yeah. and we were the first ones to go. And so I toss it in and she flies off the ledge and goes splashing in. and good girl, good girl, <laughs> yeah. and calling her back and wiggling the second one. And I love it. yeah, then you can get the bumper away from her. So she doesn't like keep away by trading her for the yeah. other very fun bumper. Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, it works awesome. for birds too.
3: Oh, yeah. yeah that's for, good.
1: Yeah. Yep. Same thing because they'll come back. Yeah, with Basil. So there you go. Didn't, well, work, for it Basil. didn't work for Basil. Didn't work for <laughs> Basil. <laughs> no.
2: Because <We laughs> she has to play keep away that. with Sage because Sage is a bully. <laughs> and Sage steals all of her toys. Okay. Every toy Basil yeah. ever gets is stolen by Sage within seconds.
1: Yeah. Sage wants all the toys. Yeah. Well, so. and she should. She's, yeah, she's prize one. Yes. She's a prize one bitch. She is. So what was What was your final score then uh one twelve prize one, so we were
2: so elated <laughs> to go from this little puppy we had th- thought she was a dud, <laughs> not actually, but we had concerns, yeah, to then just being so proud of her that she's just an amazing dog. Did her... you take her for a prize one bitch celebration? Not really. No, we drank beer in her honor. So her her registered name is uh, Cedarwoods Mountain Standard, named after our favorite beer from one of our favorite breweries in Colorado.
1: And it's a very good beer. It's a good beer.
2: Yeah, it's a kind of a light, yummy IPA. Mm -hmm. And so we we did drink that beer in her honor, and I really wanted to go paddleboarding. And (laughs) Sage loves water now, so I was so excited to Kind of have a non bird dog week. Yeah, just let her be a dog dog. Yeah, and so we kind of took it easy on training. We took it easy on obedience training. Minus introducing the shock collar.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, that, <laughs> that was, was the, that was the follow up training. That session, was not it?
2: <laughs> it was yes, was introduction to the e collar, <laughs> and then having so much fun paddleboarding and and all of that. So that was yeah. that was our biggest celebration with Sage. Yeah, it was fun. That is
1: fun. It's <laughs> <was> really fun. <laughs> Um, you talked a little bit about camp, so I want to touch on that. what What kind of was your biggest takeaway from the women's pointing Dog camp?
2: Oh, my gosh, there were so many amazing things. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me personally was so much confidence uh, in myself that came from that, mm-hmm. and especially from doing it by myself and not with Andrew, because uh, I slept in a tent in Grizzly Bear Country. Yes, that was the first time I had ever set up a tent by myself in my entire life. Oh. Not because I I hadn't had, I mean, just because I never had. Yeah. So between just feeling so empowered that I can do these things without him there. Now, granted, I love doing stuff with him. Absolutely. I prefer to do stuff together. Yeah. But it felt so empowering to say, okay, I can be a women, a woman dog trainer in a male-dominated sport, yeah. and I can be a woman hunter, and I'm not alone, that there's all these other amazing women that came from all over the country, from Alaska to Tennessee and Illinois, and everywhere in between, uh, and just growing that confidence in myself and in growing and having that confidence builds in my dog and, and in the things that we were doing with her. Cause we had no clue what we were doing. We were learning so much along the way and just getting so much positive feedback and just different tips from, uh, Ruth. And then Bridget were so helpful with the puppies. Uh, the two trainers that spent the most time with the little puppy group there. Yeah. So yeah, That's just awesome. tons of, tons of confidence in myself. And then confidence in Sage and Yeah. What we were and doing. And you had with the her. breakthrough in the water there. And we had our water breakthrough. That was my yeah. main kind of training focus goal was I've gotta get this dog in the water. We <laughs> we had gotten her to swim before, but always just following us across this tiny little ditch where she would swim for two strokes and be out.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and so I said, Guys, I really this is my goal. I'm sure they all thought I was crazy because she just slayed it in the first <laughs> moment. She's so competitive <laughs> and so play-driven. We took all these puppies and it was Well, Sage had a free-for-all. A lot of the puppies, they didn't have a free-for-all as much. But we got these bumpers, and I was getting excited. All right, Sage. And tossed the first one. And she charged in and splashed and swam really well. Um...
1: she's like, I've been doing this all yeah, my life. Yeah. No big deal.
2: Exactly. I was really proud of her. One of them, because I was like, I'm going to, keep. I've got to build this drive. Like that built so much drive in her. Yeah. I was just tossing them and having fun. And somebody else had tossed a bumper for, I think it was an eight month old German short hair pointer okay. that swam in after it. And Sage was like, heck no, I'm not going to let you beat me to the bumper. So my little five month old puppy motorboats out there like a river otter passes him and and steals his retrieve and brings it back. Not to me, but <laughs> and- to the shore and so I apologize I'm like oh my gosh I'm so sorry that that was so rude and on the inside I was like heck yeah like you go girl <laughs> you go steal that retreat I love the competitive She's, side yeah so we both are competitive I tried to be kind but you're, I, was you're kind of of <laughs> I was super proud of her
1: I was super
2: proud of her and it. she has been a little water rock star ever since so that was just the perfect environment for yeah. her it was could not have been better yeah
1: and I love how like it, bird dog fever that you and andrew have gotten i mean besides like the testing stuff like you now have your own flock of pigeons
2: we have our own flock of pigeons yes my family (laughs) thinks we have totally lost our mind (laughs) my grandma and grandpa love hearing about us and our pigeons they're all named
1: yeah how Um, many do you
2: have let's see we we bought 12 I think we currently have 15. I'm, I'm hesitant on the numbers because we've had some babies born recently. Okay. Uh, I think we have f- 14 currently that can fly. Uh, not all are trained to our coop, but yeah. So there were a couple seasons, a uh, couple weeks where we were spending time training the pigeons.
3: Mm-hmm. We had
2: to actually train them how to go through the, the trap door back into the coop. So we would go and train pigeons by taking, you know, taking these five or six birds out of the, out of the coop and uh, one at a time wet their wings in warm, soapy water. So ah. that they Ben told us this joke. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Keep keep up with it. I never yeah, yeah. heard this. Okay. And you guys probably don't do this with your pigeons. Yeah. Maybe it's an unnecessary step, but with because we had so few pigeons, every pigeon was so valuable we couldn't risk right. losing them for anything. Right. Uh, so we got these six pigeons and we dip one at a time, two wings in their soapy warm soapy water, and then put them on a little platform near the bob door with it the, the door trap door kind of held in an up position. So the, the soapy water prevents them from flying away. Mm-hmm. And then we feed the pigeons on the inside. So they're like, ooh, let's go be with my friends. So they'd go in there and then eat. Ah. So we did that for three days, okay. once with the bobs all the way up. Then with two of the of the trapdoor bobs, I guess, or, you know, those little yep. wires that hang down. Yep. Two of them up, so they had two slightly larger gaps to go through. And then on the third day with none of them up, so they had to learn that they could stick their head through and then those the, those bars would swing in, and they could then move in into the coop. Did you have any duds that couldn't figure that out? No, everybody. My grandma was like, "Oh my gosh, Rachel, you're the best pigeon trainer ever." <laughs> Why? Thank you, Grandma. <laughs> I'm not, but thank you. Um, but so, I told my grandma one day, I was like, "All right, Grandma, you know, our, here's our schedule. You know, we're gonna go home. We need to do obedience training with the dogs. Then we're gonna feed the dogs. Then we're gonna train the pigeons. And then we're gonna go run the dogs." And this is the middle of the summer in Montana where it stays light till 1030. Right. And I said, and then I'm really, really glad when the sun goes down because we can't keep doing stuff and we actually have to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) But so then part of the training of the pigeons, because we can't train. We only, we live on an acre. I shouldn't say we only. It's a blessing to live on an acre. Yeah. But it's uh, just mowed grass so we can't actually do field search on our on our own land Uh, so we have some state land and then a friend who has a big a big property that we can go out to train Mm -hmm. but you have to train the pigeons how to find home from these different locations uh which maybe we were overly cautious but we'd take them a quarter mile away then three quarters miles away then a mile and a half away and then two miles away then three miles then then about three three and a half they'd be at their training site and they'd be good yeah. Yep. They did good. really well. We've lost three total. Really? Which is pretty good. I'll you think, think so. to raptors? Probably. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah.
1: So. <laughs> we have a nasty one, too, here. Oh, shoot. Big pigeon killers.
2: Yeah. Ironically, actually, one of our pigeons that got lost was named Bob. And we didn't really like Bob. We called him naughty names. <laughs> he was a punk. <laughs> And so Bob got lost, right? Bob didn't come home one day. Yeah. Well, I kid you not, Courtney, two or three days later, Andrew's scrolling through the news on his phone. He goes, oh my gosh, Rachel, look at this article. The title literally said, homing pigeon Bob found 4,000 miles away in Alabama. What? And we're like, oh my gosh! <laughs> Obviously, not our homing pigeon. Not Bob. Not my Bob. But the irony that we just yeah, lost ours four thousand right. miles is probably from Montana to Alabama. I don't know. It's like that's so crazy. <laughs> the irony of that. That is. So Bob has not been found. But Bob is such okay. a common
1: pigeon name. You know, totally. Like just oh. like how certain yeah. dogs have like you know Lucky yeah. or Spot or right. something. It's like Bob's the pigeon. Bob is
2: the pigeon. Andrew named Bob. I have to say. The ones I named are Latte, Macchiato, Mocha. Mm. We have Speckles, Snowfee. No
1: Sparkle Farts?
2: No no Sparkle Farts was taken. (laughs) I could not go with
1: Sparkle Farts.
2: (laughs) Courtney has a pig named Sparkle Farts. When we met Sparkle Sparkle Farts, I asked, I said, oh my gosh, your kids must have named that. And she looks at me with this coy look and says, no, William named Sparkle Farts.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. Mm Mm-hmm. So now that the test is over and you guys have introduced the e-collar, um, like when I say like what's next is you have hunting season right around the corner. Absolutely. So what kind of hunting plans do you have for this year? Because I bet you are just so stoked to get this prize one bitch Heck yeah. into the fields or the woods and the woods. Yeah. All of the above and the hills. Yeah, we
2: have been having so much fun planning our schedules of all the things to do, because mm-hmm. we have just a couple weeks left till hunting season opens mm-hmm. uh, for grouse in Montana. So we're going to start by heading up to the east uh, to look for some sharpies and huns and sage grouse uh, with Andrew and one of his co-workers, yeah. uh, Ben, will meet up with them for several days. Then we're going to meet up with you guys try to find some birds there. And I'll be so excited to watch Angus, your brocco, get to go and see <laughs> his beautiful gate. Yeah. Um, and see what Sage can do then. And Fun. Um, yeah, then basically every weekend after that, we're hoping to go chase a lot of the mountain grouse around where we live and have all sorts of fun looking for, for birds just in the places we've been scouting. And we've Excellent. already found some birds. We've, Sage has gotten into some grouse already that makes us really excited for her to learn how to hunt in the woods because we haven't trained in the woods at all so that'll be fun, fun. and then what else well, then grouse camp is at the end of September oh, yeah. Grouse camp. so coming. we'll be having a whole big blast there yes. I can't wait to to be a better shooter
1: yeah the shooting uh, instructions will be great so, so that'll be awesome and yeah. I don't know what else happens after that but... I mean what are you going to do because you guys are used to big game hunting so like are you just going to cut back a bit or are you going to be like okay well is, as soon as I'm going to keep pursuing um for this and then as soon as I get that then I'll focus more on upland hunting or kind of what's your strategy for that
2: Yeah so big game rifle won't open until the middle of October Okay and so we do have an elk trip planned okay. and so the dogs will need to not come along yeah. and that's always yeah. the worst part of that So I so I told Andrew I said you have to get an elk uh, because we don't yeah, we don't have any more time to waste chasing big game yeah uh, so we'll have that weekend and then after that it'll be back to birds we do have a plan b we can try to get some whitetail for the freezer since that is what we okay. eat so much of right. we do right. we do depend
1: on the meat essentially that does fill the freezer not the birds it does but
2: there's several places we can go hunting where we can bring the dogs hunt you know hunt for does in the morning and then once we get the freezer, you know, get the, get the meat for the freezer, then mm-hmm. we can grab the dogs and mm-hmm. go look for pheasants and other birds too. So yeah. yeah, we've talked a lot. I even said to Andrew, I said, well, maybe you'll end up going big game hunting with your guy friends and I'll take the the girls, you know, the two puppies and I will go hunting <laughs> yes. for birds. And he kind of hemmed and hawed, said, no, I think I'd rather go hunting with you guys. <laughs> I said, but we need meat too. So yeah.
1: better shoot an elk. Yep. Shoot that elk and then, get and an elk. then come on back and then back to birds. Yeah. So too fun yeah it'll be a good I love time. time well and there's there's just um you guys actually have and this is something that's going to be rare to like probably a lot of people listening is where you live there's quail everywhere and they're considered an invasive species so you can shoot them year-round don't need a hunting license it's really bizarre yeah no limit no limit have you taken advantage of that at all yet I have tried very hard okay to find somebody
2: who will let me even run the dogs on quail oh. um, the trick with the quail is they're pretty much all I found just a couple on public land where you're not allowed to shoot guns um, and the rest of them are all on, on private land mm-hmm. along the river bottom that's pretty much all private and I, I so I'm, I'm a physical therapist and I talk to patients all day that live in this area yeah. and I ask often, I said, Oh, do you have birds on your land? Do you have quail? Do you have huns? Anything else? And, Oh yes, we have tons of cute little quail. Oh, I love them so much. Oh, I feed them. Oh. And so then I say, Oh, you know, that's, that's so great. Mm-hmm. You know, could I ever bring my dogs out? We won't bring guns. We just want them to smell and point birds. Right. Nobody will let me even bring the dogs out to run the, you know, just to, to smell the birds. Why? Cause they love them. Cause they're cute. And they bounce around and do cute
1: things. They can bounce and do cute things with a dog <laughs> pointing them too. That's
2: what I said. And I have not found a single patient. Patients have let me do many things. I've mm. uh, been really kind to to give us access to properties and yeah. things like that. But no, no quail. Oh bummer. But Basil got to smell some wild quail the other day. Did she? On the state land where we've been able to run, we found two little yeah. cubbies. It was just me and Basil oh, together. Nice. And she was she was excited about them. Um, and they weren't they weren't super fleshy, I guess. So uh-huh. she got a little bit closer to him and yeah. smelled him and pointed him and we chased him for a little while and but you can't <laughs> shoot firearms on that
1: property okay. on that, that state land Well portion. that's nice that she got a little nose full of yeah. nose full of quail. Yeah. It was that's it was really good exciting. for the baby. She did awesome. Very exciting. Um so next year are you guys gonna go through the breaking process with Sage do you think? You're gonna like do you have any intentions or I'm sure you're, you're, you have like that competitive edge, right? So like you want a utility tester, don't you? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Oh yeah. We've
2: been super excited about that. Yeah. So So. are you
1: going to, are you, do you have plans? I mean, she's still, she's a baby. She's a baby. She's a baby right now. So she would only be like a year and a half next summer. Are you, is that your goal or do you, are you going to give it a year?
2: My guess is we won't UT test her by next year. Um, our plan for this season is to just let this hunting season be a blast
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and not put any controls on her at all. So she it's she might flush 100 pheasants. Yeah. And if she does and has so much fun, that's okay. Yep. Uh, we'll only shoot birds if she points them. And if she doesn't point a single bird, that'll be okay. Wow. Uh, we'll, which she'll learn. She'll point them.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, but we're not going to enforce any steadiness or any woe or any... No force fetching yet, because we just want to build that drive and help her learn that hunting is so much fun. Yeah. And so then our plan would be next spring uh, to work on like a reliable retrieve course with her,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and then do a lot more steadiness, uh, woe training, things like that. Okay. And so that would come next summer. My guess is we won't be ready to test. Maybe, but <laughs> I would be very—I'd be surprised. Yeah. Uh, Sage has a, an enormous amount of drive, uh, and I think that'll make steadiness take a while she might need to be two and a half okay to have the maturity to recognize I need to wait Mm -hmm. and then I can have a good thing uh so we'll just have to see how that goes see Um, how she
1: goes through the process yep and because
2: we'll also be getting basil ready for the na test yes
1: so let's talk about basil yes our other gosh we keep talking (laughs) about her yeah so (laughs) that was kind of a um, interesting way that that happened. (laughs) It was interesting. You guys came for your training session. Was it right before your test? Was it the weekend before? It was. Yeah. It was when
2: we were practicing tracking with Sage. Mm -hmm. And so we had come up here to train with William and those one on one sessions have been so, so valuable for helping us new trainers and handlers. So we brought Sage up to do the tracking and we pull up in the car and there's this pen of I think 16 puppies. (laughs) Yes milling around doing puppy things they're so cute wrestling and tumbling and playing and andrew says to me he says oh my gosh rachel let's steal one there's too many to count there's no way they can hold still long enough for courtney and william to count so we stole one and that's how we got basil no <laughs> uh so we said ha 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 let's steal one um so we go on about training with sage and came back and I don't know exactly how the conversation unfolded, but we were asking you guys, okay, you know, how many puppies from the different litters and how many are you keeping? And you said, Oh, we're keeping this many. And actually, which we, is a lot many, which is a lot many. Yeah. And you said, actually, this is one less than a lot many.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we were going to keep so many, but decided to not keep this one.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, and you said, here she is. Her name's Pickles. <laughs> And so you plop pickles into our arms and you say, actually, you know, she's available. We haven't found, you know, haven't looked for anybody for her yet, but she needs to go to a really special home. Yeah. And so Andrew and I are kind of looking at each other. Ha ha. Yes, we should. We should take her. Andrew says, oh, yeah, yeah, we should take her. And we look at each other and make eye contact. And we're like, maybe we should take her. Like, (laughs) actually, we might be serious about this. So we have had puppy fever even since getting sage we've had so much fun with her Mm -hmm. Uh, we had gone to some friend's house and they have this um, nine-year-old bloodhound and we brought sage over when she was probably four months old and we were like oh my gosh isn't this great doesn't this give you puppy fever and my friend said, "No, this looks so stressful. You guys are constantly getting up, constantly seeing what she 's chewing on, constantly letting her out, and she was like, That looks so stressful. I love my nine year old dog and I said, Oh my gosh, we already have puppy fever for another puppy i 'd been dreaming of puppy dog other group, other female bird dog names, yeah had already been thinking through that, so the stars just aligned perfectly mm-hmm. the, and so then anyway, that back to the day that we we met pickles." Um then you guys said, "Well, why don't you guys just take her home for a trial run?" And you of course See what it's
1: like with two puppies. Yeah, see if
2: we can handle it, think about our schedules cuz yeah. Sage we had planned for a year. right? And we had, you know, made sure Andrew wasn't traveling, made sure that cuz he he now works, well, he's able to work from home as much as he needs to. So with the puppies, he's under puppy daddy house arrest. <laughs> uh not able to go to the office as much. And so we, we had planned so much for Sage. So you guys said, okay, take her home. Think about your schedules. You know, are you, are you going to be able to to juggle two puppies? That's a lot. And so we took her home and just fell in love with this little love bug. And she's so <laughs> cuddly and affectionate. And Sage loves her.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and so we did end up having to give her back for three days because Andrew did go to the office. He had something already planned to have to be in the office. Yeah. And that next morning, when Sage got up, she was sad. Aww. She was looking for Basil. <laughs> she went to her crate and scratched at the, at the crate door, and was like, "Where? Where's my friend? Like, why did? Why was my friend here and now she's gone?" Aww. And, uh So we then we missed Basil as well, and yeah. it was good for her to be away for three days because we had a chance to like. Okay, like, what do we need? How are we gonna juggle the schedule with the two dogs? Because we we think structure is so important for them. Mm-hmm. How do we create a new pattern of structure for these dogs? And yeah, yeah. So that's we, So then
1: you then you got a wire hair. So
2: we then now <laughs> yes. So now we have a, a poodle pointer and a German wire hair. I love
1: the beards that you're
2: building at yes, your house. Yes, I have my three bearded companions in my family. <laughs> Andrew has his three ladies, and I have three bearded companions. <laughs> love it. So yeah, they're, they're awesome.
1: So you did, well, you and Andrew both did mutually the training with Sage, but then you tested her. Yeah. And like, how did you guys kind of come to that decision?
2: Yeah. So we, we trained her equally, especially with obedience stuff and largely because, you know, at that time we thought we'd only have one dog. We wanted her to obey both of us just as well and be able to hunt for us both equally as well. Yeah. Uh, but I really, Andrew was so kind and encouraging. Uh, he had recognized in me that I loved the, the idea of the testing or showing side and that that was really where my passion differed from his. Now we both loved the hunting, but his, you know, he grew up with the bird dogs and loved the hunting side, which I enjoy as well. I really love that as well, but my passion for the test, I had a greater passion for the test yeah. and I really wanted to be the handler. So I brought it up to him. I said, Andrew, you know, who who do you think should handle you know handle Sage in the test on the night that we actually officially signed her up and he said well Rachel why why don't you be the handler like you you you're really excited about that so he was so encouraging Aww. so once that decision was made I was the one that handled her in all of our training runs or most of them we had kind of alternated a little bit but most of the training things so Andrew bent over backwards to uh, run around planting birds and go set up traps in the field before us while I hung out with friends or, you know, talk to landowners and yeah. who were my patients in most cases. <laughs> um, and then we'd go and I would get to hunt her and he would backplant birds and he would move the launchers around and he walked the miles without even hunting a dog. And it was so kind. He never once grumbled. I always offered, I said, Hey, you know, can I, can I do that? And so he's, he did phenomenal. He was yeah. so, so wonderful. So I'm so grateful for that. And He's been so encouraging and helpful and,
1: yeah, yeah, had so much fun being the handler. Yeah. So now with uh, Basil, is Andrew going to be doing the handling, do you think?
2: I would guess so. Okay. I think that we'll probably encourage that. Uh, He said we'll wait to decide until later.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, So we'll we'll just have to see. I think it'd be good, um, Mm -hmm. but I would also be fine to be the handler. Right. But we do want them to hunt for both, so I don't want one to get too attached to... I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. and that
1: that can happen. We, mm-hmm. we like that's why. Well, we have our own strings of dogs. Exactly. And you guys just need to keep filling your strings. We do. Yeah. Because yes. you, you only have two dogs. So you're like.
3: I
2: know. We only have two dogs. <laughs> have Even when we were dogs. deciding to get the second puppy, we called people. You know, we <laughs> talked to you guys who have numerous dogs per person. Yeah. And we talked to Ben, Andrew's coworker and, mm-hmm. and friend, and I think he has four dogs for himself mm-hmm. and. You know, everyone was really encouraging of more yeah. dogs equals more happiness. So for sure, two is good for right now, two yeah. puppies. Cause we have a seven month old and a three month old. Yeah. That's enough for right now. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had a dream the night we brought Basil home officially, uh, that we had somehow magically had two year old daughter, a two year old daughter, human daughter, really and like a four month old baby oh kind of be like a human equivalent of their actual ages. Right. And it was borderline nightmare. Was it scary? It was really scary. Oh my gosh. Did was... you
1: like have hesitations then?
2: No, I woke okay. up and I was so relieved that they were dogs and not humans. <laughs> it's like, I can do dogs, human children. I love your children, but babies are scary. scary. Babies yeah, scary. are scary. Yeah. Uh, I was very relieved, super stoked to have two puppy daughters yeah. and very relieved they were not human
1: daughters. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm curious of what your structure is. Like what, cause you. Grandma obviously knows what your structure is, (laughs) but I don't know what your structure is. So can you kind of walk me through, like, is it, is a typical day, like very structured or do you have some, some variety?
2: Yeah. So typical days are pretty structured, um, especially around meal times, uh, because these are both really high drive, high energy working dogs Mm -hmm. that need a job. So we always want them to feel like they're earning their meals. So in the morning, uh, we'll usually get up. And since we have the two now, we'll we'll walk both dogs about a mile, um, and sometimes that'll be one of us or both of us together, depending on the morning. And then they both go to their crates while we cut up hot dog bits um, to train them with hot dog bits, because mm-hmm. uh, Sage is not food motivated at all, um, or she wasn't. She is more so now. Basil's a food psychopath, but we can't feed Basil or can't feed Sage uh, hot dogs, and Basil wouldn't tolerate anything less. So uh, then we. We'll usually get out. We always want Sage to be gotten out first. We want Mm -hmm. her to maintain the lead role. And so we'll get out Sage and usually do a five to ten, sometimes longer, about ten-minute training session with her um, in the morning of obedience of some sort. So place board, target here, um, extended place, extended sit, whatever that might be that we're working on, sometimes some fetching. Then we'll put Sage away, put her back in her crate. Then we'll get out Basil and do... um, little mini play or sit or target here, things like that with her. Then we'll put sage or then we'll put basil up. Then we'll get sage out and do a second session. Then we'll put her up and then we get out basil and do another session. This is why my grandma thinks <laughs> I'm totally crazy. <laughs> this is all at five in the morning. <laughs> um, and then we'll get sage back out, feed sage, put sage away, get out basil, feed basil. Um, and then this is the most important step of the morning for the dog structure. While I'm in the bathroom getting cleaned up uh, for before work in the morning, they get to chew on a bone in the bedroom right near me. Okay. And so Basil will immediately run straight to the bedroom after she finishes her food because she knows the bone she knows is the coming fountain. next. Yeah, one, one morning with Sage, I had skipped that step and had to put her straight into her kennel because I was showering and she wasn't trustworthy to be left unsupervised. Yeah. And she was normally great in her kennel and she literally screamed for five minutes while I was in the shower because I had forgotten the step. I didn't forget, but she thought I had forgotten the bone chewing step.
1: Um, you're missing something. I missed the, the very yes. important, step. <laughs> the very
2: important step is chewing on the bone. Uh, so then after I'm ready, we usually go for another walk of a mile or, a, or half a mile to a mile. And then they go to their crates for a couple hours. Okay. Um, and then during the workday, Andrew, um, tries to keep them in the crates for a couple hours and manages different little training things or just free time for them. Um, and then we repeat the whole training process in the evening. So a little bit more obedience, um, a varying length in the evening. And that's amazing. Then we'd usually go on some sort of an adventure, whether that's, you know, a walk a little bit longer, mile and a half or two, um, go plant pigeons and run on pigeons, go run on state land just to get exercise Mm -hmm. and exploring, go for a hike and then the sun sets and we go to bed all very, very tired. (laughs) And start it over <laughs> at 5 in the morning. I love it. And then weekends vary some. We still try to do training before food. Yeah. Um, but going out to NAVTA training days or going, you know, just hiking or backpacking. And... Yeah. You guys
1: have been hardcore NAVTA. I mean, yeah. you were at the test this last weekend. You are out there planting birds. And, I mean, how, how thankful, you know, we are in the chapter to have people like you guys. You know, we really are just to be there and helping out even though you don't have a dog entered and yeah thank you yeah
2: we we've had so much fun just getting to know people and encouraging others and watching the dogs that we've been watching train all summer watching them test and hanging out with people afterwards it's it's been fun we've we've been having a blast doing it
1: in training with what you guys learned with sage will you be doing
2: anything different with basil do you think that's a great question and i think time will tell on that yeah So Basil's definitely getting to be exposed to things sooner. Uh, With Sage, we barely had the pigeons by the time we got the dog. And actually, we had had Sage before we even got pigeons, but we couldn't use the pigeons for six weeks because they had to get home to our coop. So Sage didn't get as much exposure, um, and we really had no clue what we were doing about anything. Mm -hmm. So Basil's already swimming, um, and she's three months old, I think, now, a little over three months. Uh, So she's already swimming. She's done some bumper fetches into sort of deep, not deep water, very shallow water. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, she's she's kind of a, a second child syndrome of just getting to do everything a little bit faster. Um, but so yeah, I think some training as far as obedience stuff will be a little different because she's so food motivated where Sage wasn't, okay. uh, where Sage is play motivated. So like the bumpers was very easy with Sage to get her excited about that. And so we tried to use food to motivate Basil, but as soon as the food came out, she was just neurotic about the food, right? She, about could hot concentrate dogs. she couldn't working. concentrate because she doesn't yeah. want to play right. where we can use food as a reward for Sage for bringing back the bumper. But Sage loves play so much. She'll still go fetch the bumper where if we rewarded Basil with a, a hot dog bit for bringing a bumper back, she doesn't want anything to do with bumpers. Right. She's like, where's the bag of hot dogs? Cause that's all I care about. <laughs> so I think there will be differences there. Yeah. Basil's more affectionate. Uh, she loves to cuddle and loves to be loved on. Where Sage wants to lick my face for two minutes and give me little love nips with her sharp little teeth. And then she wants to be done. Mm-hmm. She wants to go lay on her bed or be alone. Where Basil will just come and if I'm sitting on the floor, Basil will, wants to be in my lap the whole time. Just cuddling. <laughs> just loving. Which, All day long. Which makes my puppy mama heart right. very happy. <laughs> right. Loving. And
1: you met Tori. So she's, yes. Tori's like that. Her, just, yes, I Basil's just will mama, love you for the rest of my life. Just a lover,
2: <laughs> Which is so amazing. So. Yes.
1: Yeah. So it'll, yeah. Time will tell. Yeah, how the training it's, varies. it's interesting, you know, and it'll be great for you guys of just taking a different approach. Yeah. You know, that absolutely. really makes you better trainers and in, in having different dogs, different approaches, seeing what works for one that doesn't work for the other. Yeah. So that's I think really exciting. You and
2: William will continue to be super helpful for us in that. Absolutely. As we learn the differences in the dogs, yeah. like, oh my gosh, William, what we did with Sage isn't working, but we don't know what else options are to yeah. do. So yeah. we've been so grateful for just training sessions with you and the friendships that have come from that. Yeah. Too. It's awesome. oh, We love
1: spending time with you guys, but I mean, oh, even when we're not dog training, we're just <laughs> out paddle boarding or going to yeah. the lake. We have so much fun with you guys. Oh, thanks. Very grateful. Um, have you noticed any differences between the breeds between poodle pointers and wire hairs? Gosh, that's hard to say. It, I mean, they're so young, right? Because they're
2: young and yeah. they're both, just one example of the breeds themselves. So there's a ton of differences between the two dogs,
3: Yeah.
2: but I'm not sure about the breeds in general because Sage isn't that affectionate, mm-hmm. but I've met a lot of affectionate poodle pointers. Uh, and yeah, so I, I'm not sure I can say about the yeah. breeds specifically. I think in general, as far as hunting, there will be a lot of similarities with really high drive, gung ho, hard, tough dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think time will tell. They're going to be a
1: great team. They're yeah, going to be so awesome. so excited to, yeah.
2: Yeah. It's fun. as The bigger and older Basil gets, the more she's able to do. Yeah. She's still so young, but she's over double in size compared to when we first got her. Yeah. And just her keeping up with Sage is so much better. And she's starting to search on her own a little bit more. Nice. Compared to just playing tag along with Sage and mm-hmm. trying to bite her ears while Sage is hunting. <laughs> which Sage loves to play with Basil at home. Yeah. But when Sage is hunting, Sage doesn't mess around. <laughs> she has one focus, and that's finding birds. Or swimming
1: for bumpers, yeah. Or leaves or sticks, but mostly <laughs> birds. <laughs> um, I have a couple uh, gear questions for you, because as a as a kind of novice upland hunter, I wouldn't say novice. You're several years into it. I would it.
2: say definitely novice.
1: Well, I I still think like I'm curious, like with um, you know, getting into it, it's it's difficult to to find women's gear, mm. and it takes a little bit of research. Or um just going, oh I'm just gonna go with this because it's here, right? So um let's see, what do you have for boots, field boots?
2: So I have Solomon hiking boots. Okay. That are have been my boots for hiking and backpacking. Mm-hmm. Uh bottom at REI just looking for hiking boots. I have really weak ankles, so they come up above my ankles. Uh and Andrew has the same pair but in the men's version. And he's been offered by friends and other people, hey, you've got to try this brand or that. And uh, we're both prone to, especially Andrew, to blisters. Okay. And these boots don't give us blisters. Nice. And so Andrew says, no, man, it's not worth it. I'm not trying your other hunting boots. Yeah. So we just love our you Solomon. You go with what
1: works. Yep. Yeah,
2: we've both now, we're on our second pair of those exact same boots.
1: Solomon. Solomon. Okay.
2: Yeah. And I don't know even what the name is yeah. of the boot. Yeah. But they're mostly waterproof and... We use them for snowshoeing, hiking, hunting, backpacking, everything, everything, training with pigeons, awesome, or chacos
1: <laughs> we're in the water, chacos. <laughs> what about um, like field pants? What are you going to wear for hunting pants this season?
2: Ooh, so I have three favorites. Uh, the one I've had the longest are my Provis Upland pant. They mm-hmm. have a Pradland pant, and it's a little bit thicker. Um, but when we're doing this bird dog hunting world that I've gotten into, you do a lot of crashing off trail through thick stuff. And so the, the brush pants are so helpful because they don't, uh, rip or snag and they do protect you from the burrs. Mm -hmm. So those are really awesome when it's cooler, but they're a little thicker. Um, so then Andrew for my birthday got me a pair of Orvis up upland pants that are super comfy and lighter weight. Yes. So I'll definitely be using those Mm -hmm. early season. And then I just got a pair of the first light, Altura guide pants yeah, and they are the comfiest they're of all great. those they mm-hmm. fit so well like I, I have to wear a belt with almost all my pants because of the shape of my body uh, and I
3: don't have Angel to wear a belt with, with yeah. those
2: pants they are I said to Andrew probably 40 times I said oh my gosh these first light pants I said I wish they come in more colors yeah. um, and they're designed all those pants were designed for women yeah so the selection's low yeah but the stuff I found has been really good
3: yeah good
1: very yep. good what are you doing for a uh, vest? So we just this
2: year we had our five year anniversary and splurged Congrats. and both bought uh, Final Rise vests. You did. We did. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we we have those all ready to go. Excellent. And they are very bright and shiny orange. Yes. Uh, William pointed out that they should, should not be that bright and shiny after a season or two. With <laughs> um, some blood stains. With some blood stains and getting the orange a little dusty. So. Yeah. We're loving those. I had had a vest yeah. before that was a women designed vest, uh, that the pockets didn't snap very well. Okay. And I ended up losing a whole box of shells yeah. and I was rather disgruntled, uh, cause our shell supply was low and very, very expensive yeah. uh, a couple years ago. And so I was excited that the, the, fir- the final rise vests are phenomenal. So comfy and plenty of water places yeah. for the dogs and yeah, and they close up nice. And they close up nice. Yeah, yeah I have a bear spray can- attachment. Andrew has a gun, like a pistol holster attachment, because mm-hmm. we hunt in bear country a lot. And-
1: yeah, I've lost so many gloves wearing um, previous vests. Yeah, yeah. That with those that just didn't close, and man, that's frustrating. Right. When you lose your little glove liners, oh. just for those you know cold days when you just want a little something on yeah. your hands, and then you lost it somewhere. It's very frustrating. Yes. Mm. So yeah, I do also appreciate the Final Rise vest. Um, what about shotgun? What are you shooting?
2: So that was a long, hard hunt for us. I had mostly been borrowing guns. Um, we had a friend from church that had loaned us, this is a different friend from the other gun, um, but a Browning B two or B 80 or B something that no longer is made. And it fit me so well. And I was so excited and couldn't find anything like it. So Andrew and I looked for women's fitting guns, which is so challenging. Uh, cause the length of pull, I have a fairly small frame and so I needed a smaller gun, but a youth gun has such a short barrel, um, and just wasn't designed sometimes to the caliber of what we were looking for. So we went for weekends to Cabela's and gun stores around here and to Shields and Sportsman's and looking for guns and shouldering guns and not knowing what I was looking for. So we ended up buying a Benelli M2 semi-automatic, um, Gun yep. that is really fits me really well. It does um, I'm a little envious of the people with the really pretty wooden stocks and the break open because yeah. you can use them in the nav to stuff. Yeah, you
1: shoot what feels good on you. You know. So yeah. we got
2: we bought that gun before we even had the the puppies and mm-hmm. fits really well. It's really it lightweight. Does. The the semi automatic uh, re- the inertia action action reduces the recoil a ton. Nice. So I can shoot tons and tons of rounds without feeling any. Any That's impact on the perfect. shoulder, which is great. I should yeah. practice more than I do. Uh, but Andrew and I We were just, all should. Yeah, Andrew and I were just talking. Uh, I said, oh, Andrew, I really would love if we get really into this NAVDA stuff. I want to break open because yeah. you have to have that when you're doing the, the right. stuff at NAVDA because yeah. of safety reasons. Right.
1: Um, with hunting. Especially all the gopher or the badger oh, holes my that we all have the
2: badger in our, our ground. have <laughs> fallen probably four or five times just walking through this thick tall grass with these gopher holes. So Andrew said, well, maybe yeah. we should get you a, si- a siren shotgun. Oh I my like, gosh. Oh, I really want one. <laughs> well, you'll so maybe next try year. it out. Yeah. Yep. Try it out. So
1: for um, this year, the one I have yeah, works. But... Yours fits great. And we just, we just had the, the zoom meeting and did shotgun fitting the other day for yeah. those that are coming to grouse camp, which is super helpful. And and Tracy said, too, like, looks good, Rachel. Yeah. It fits you great. Yeah, it so, fits well. I've practiced yeah.
2: with it. I like the semi-auto because I get three shots instead of two. Yeah. So a little extra bonus. Not that I ever fire more than one shot, but, <laughs> but the idea is there. It's um, nice
1: you kill all your birds on your first shot. That's yeah, very Yeah, if nice. I killed
2: birds. <laughs> I just don't, I'm not fast enough to fire more than one. I don't know where things have gone, but, uh, but yeah, it fits really well. I'm really grateful for it. It's a great gun. Awesome. Great gun.
1: Um what is your favorite game bird recipe? My favorite that
2: comes to mind is pheasant parmesan. Oh. And I don't have a specific pheasant based recipe for it. Okay. I just cuz with all of our hunting, we don't I don't search for Wild game specific recipes Mm because there's so few. So I just substitute the closest bird. So, like chicken parmesan. So, you type into Google chicken parmesan and there's a little all recipes recipe that comes up. Yes. And that's the one I put pheasant in. Nice. And it is so good. By the time you put anything smothered with marinara and tons of cheese (laughs) and fry it and bread it, bread it and fry it, it could be cardboard and it would taste so good. Uh, but with the pheasant it's extra yummy. Yeah. So pheasant parmesan for sure.
1: Have you had sharp tail yet? No, I've I okay. had sharp tail. Oh you're you're probably gonna have it the week before yeah. I get to hunt with you, but I'm I'm really excited like when yeah. we're gonna do the game bird feast that night. Oh I'm yeah. really excited to do some sharp tail recipes for people. Nice. What's your favorite sharp tail recipe? Um honestly, um just like straight up with butter and a little mm. bit of seasoning. Um actually Bailey Peterson turned me on to his alpine, alpine touch. It's Ooh. a Montana spice and I tried it for the first time last year and I love it. So just a little okay. bit of that and some butter and, and fry it really lightly on each side. Oh, yum. So good.
2: Not breaded. No, it tastes just like steak. Up. Yeah. Is it dark? Is it red meat? It's red meat. Oh my gosh. No way. Yeah. Cause they're huge, right? They're big birds. Yeah.
1: They're, they're, they're a good sized bird. Ugh. Yeah. Or it's sage Sage grouse. Sage grouse is really big. Okay. But yeah, sharp tail is, I mean, it's a good size bird. Okay. Bigger than rough grouse. Yeah. (laughs) They're, they're, I would say they're about the same size as rough grouse. Okay. Nice. So yeah. Bigger than a hunt. Okay. Bigger than a hunt. Good. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Not as big as a pheasant. Mm -hmm. But all delicious. Yeah. All delicious. Rough
2: grouse. We had, we got a couple of rough grouse last hunting season. And we ate it. I think we've breaded it and fried it and had it over fettuccine Alfredo. Nice. Oh, and gosh. the way I described the meat, it was so good. Probably a young bird, but so tender.
3: Yeah.
2: I described it as chickenier chicken. Like chicken that tastes more delicious like chicken than chicken does itself. Mm. Like if somebody had served that to me and said, Hey Rachel, here's some chicken, I would have said, Wow, that is the best seasoned, juiciest, yummiest, tender tenderest chicken. Wow. Um because it, it tasted like chicken ear chicken. Chicken yeah. that tasted more like chicken than chicken itself. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Not sure
1: how that's possible, but it was good. Have you had dusky grouse yet? Blue grouse?
2: No. We only got rough grouse okay. and one uh, spruce grouse. All right. Let's go dusky
1: grouse hunting. Okay. They're, I mean, like if you, rough grouse is really good. Okay. Dusky grouse is even better. It's better? better. Okay. Yeah. It that It is sounds like awesome. the filet mignon of... Ooh. Yes. It's very good. Yum. Very good. Cool. Birds yeah. are awesome. They are so awesome. much fun. We could talk about eating birds all night. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, since your husband is Onyx Andrew, as all my friends refer to him as, um, and he's amazing. He's going to put on um, a navigation uh, Onyx training for all the ladies on a Zoom call to do beforehand. And then um, he's actually coming to camp and going to put it, teach them how to put it to use there and do some in-field stuff. So I'm really excited about that. But you have obviously a very close in to one of my favorite tools. So what is, what is something that you use the most or is maybe something that people should be utilizing a a little bit more? That's really helpful.
2: So there's a couple things that come to mind. Probably one of the most unique use cases I've done is using Onyx to calibrate how far from my home I should release my pigeons. Ah. So I drop a point on my house and draw a line from my house directly to our training site. And then try to find roads that intersect with that line. So that's not that unique of a use of Onyx of the app itself. But using it for that purpose is really helpful. However, if you want to navigate not as the pigeon flies, that's really inconvenient because I can't fly. So if I tell Onyx, go to this waypoint, it takes a straight line from point A to point B, which isn't practical. But Andrew showed me this is super handy because I was really struggling with this. Let's say I drop a waypoint um, on a side of the road where I think there's an interesting place that we might want to go scout or go grass hunting. Mm-hmm. So I can make, put a waypoint there and then copy and paste the GPS coordinates into Google or Apple Maps. And then it'll give me road, road directions to that location.
3: Really? Which is
2: really handy. Oh, I didn't know that. I think they're working on making that a feature that the app directly can do for you. Okay. Uh, But it's so handy because I was frustrated. I say, navigate me to this point, and it takes you as the pigeon flies. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm not a pigeon. That's not helpful. I'm not going to walk 57 miles straight northwest from my house to that spot. Not happening. Yeah. Um, But to be able to copy and paste and then... Just copy and paste the GPS coordinates. You can also share them with friends that way if they, for some crazy reason, don't have Onyx, yeah. which is very foolish. No, Everyone I, should have Onyx. I have no
1: friends that don't have Onyx. <laughs> yes. Everyone they should have many. Onyx.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know how we ever lived without it. I don't either. That we do, but I yeah, really, either. really handy. So cool stuff. That is You really can cool. also share waypoints in folders and groups now, which is something new that I didn't know you can do. What? So if I wanted to talk to, like, if we were going to go hunting together and I said, all right, Courtney you know, here's the parking lot, here's the cabin, uh, here's the trailhead. Here's these three places I've spotted grouse before. I can clump those all together into a folder and share them with you in one drop Oh wow. as opposed to individual pin sharing, oh. which helps a lot when you're collaborating with friends. Yeah. So yeah, lots of cool
1: things. That I feel is.
2: grateful for having a insider in the home to for help sure. me with my onyx struggles.
1: Gosh. So he took, um, him and Ben talked to us on the 24th. Yes. So, Oh gosh, I'm going to have to make sure that they show me how to do that. That would be really helpful.
2: Yeah, it's really handy. Okay. Really, really good stuff. Cool. Well, thank you, Rachel. Yes,
1: thanks, Courtney, for having me. This I love that. super you. fun. It is super fun. I love spending time with you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bird Dog Babe podcast. Be sure to check out the sponsors of this podcast Purina Pro Plan, Boss Shot Shells onyx hunt and partners siren shotguns and dakota 283 and don't forget to support the conservation organizations of the birds that you chase after and the public lands in which you hunt